Welcome to Business Politics 318. I am Cesara Johnson, also known as Cesara J, and we have two special guests all the way from Texas, Marshall, Texas, that is, Wiley College, and I want to introduce uh, Dr. A. Clifton Miles and also Dr. Sasha Johnson Coleman. Provost Administrators from Wiley College. Now, before we begin, I want you to kind of tell the audience what Wiley College is really known for in the media. Well, of course, we can start out. We know, um, if you know anything about the movie, The Great Debaters, it is a, a, a pictorial of what happened on the campus in reference to our debate program and what we were able to do around debate. So we're very known for our debate program. We're very known for our acapella choir. Um, and, and we're very known for providing an opportunity for uh, education, uh, quality education, since right after the emancipation. <laughs> so it's been, it's really been our, our mission to really provide an opportunity to give uh, minority uh, students the opportunity to be uh, successful in society and provide them an experience where they can take those tools and be able to be competitive. Now, Dr. Miles, for, can you just give the audience just a, a brief biography of who you are and basically the initiative that we will be talking about today? Well, um, just a little bit about me. Uh, I've, I've been in, edu in, in education since 1993 as a, uh, as a actual profession in the industry. Um, um, my experience has spanned um, from a college professor to that of a high school uh, teacher to an administrator at every level, uh, elementary, middle, high, and also administrator on a college level. Um, my work has been primarily focused on um, improving uh, uh, educational experiences in um, various uh, industries. Um, I've done a lot of focus on school improvement and, and improving uh, strategic planning and work around that. Um, and learning has been the primary focus of the research and area that I've been very, very interested in. How do we provide quality experiences for our students and how do we give them the opportunity to be competitive in the world? Um, what the, the experience that we have now recently developed is called the Historical Black College and University uh, Learning Ecosystem. So we call it the HBCU Learning Ecosystem. And what's been important about that is we wanted to build a collaboration around institutions to address issues that they face um, at their own institutions, but in a collaborative way where we can work together and support each other. And, and the premise behind that is that we feel as we, if we come together collectively and work through professional learning experience to teach various skills and share ideas and share tools, we will be able to transform a lot of the issues that we see that are prevalent in education today. That's wonderful. Um, Dr. Sasha Johnson Coleman, uh, for those of you all who don't know, this is actually my sister. Dr. Sasha Johnson Coleman, so can you please tell our listening audience and our viewer audience a little bit about yourself and also your role in the initiative. Okay, I'm Sasha. I have been in higher ed for 16 years. I started out, um, actually started out teaching, actually maybe 17 years, um, volunteering as a tutor with the International Rescue Community, um, doing ESL, which I really enjoyed, which the next following year I segued becoming an, an adjunct professor in um, the Atlanta metro area and just continued on there. 
teaching in um, Michigan, teaching in Virginia, and not Georgia, and now um, Wiley. And I have been in the classroom. I was a um, tenured professor. I went from adjunct professor to tenure track to tenured um, associate professor. I was a special assistant to the provost, and now I'm the assistant, um, excuse me, assistant uh, vice provost at Wiley College. And uh, my area is academic engagement. And so I really enjoy higher ed. I enjoy teaching, but I also really enjoyed administration. It was so funny. I was looking at something that I wrote about 11 years ago, and I said, Sasha, being an educator is important, but being in administration is even more important because that's where you can make the policies to really make the change. Yes. And so one thing that Dr. Miles and I have been able to do in conjunction with the provost, who's our supervisor, Dr. Willie Todd, is to create policies that really help students to achieve. And this um, HBCU um, ecosystem, which is the brainchild of Dr. Miles, he's very humble, he doesn't really say this, but has been really an interesting, interesting um, um, adventure with him. He's very compassionate. He has a great love for HBCUs. He actually attended an HBCU. HBCUs did not, um, um, when I applied for HBCUs, they did not accept me. <laughs> but that's okay, right? Because most, uh, the majority of my teaching career has been in HBCUs. And you can definitely see how HBCUs really have done a great job over the years of cultivating um, not only African-American students, but other students too. That's the beauty about HBCUs. They've, they've been diverse, but especially with, with um, African-American students helping them to succeed, we know that they um, HBCUs have produced the most scientists, those in STEM um, and, other, uh, and in other fields. However, I would say, and Dr. Miles and I have talked about this a lot, it seems like, I don't know, in the last 20 or so years, something has gone awry. Mm. And so what, with um, Dr. Miles as the lead on this, he's like, and there's so many, you know, their HBCs closing, their financial problems, which we see um, losing students, losing um, educators, losing administration, there's so much going on. And it's not about it being relevant, they're, they're being relevant, it's about how do we sustain them. And one thing that Dr. Miles said is that we have to come together. We're ex we can't expect other people outside of the HBCU system to help us. We should actually come together because many of the excuse me, issues we're facing are similar. And so if we're in the business of learning, what can we do to help our students learn? We are noticing that students are having problems with the basic skills, reading, writing, and arithmetic. It seems weird, but it really is. And so one thing that um, he has started is really started a, a, a consortium or a group of HBCs coming together. And um, I don't want to steal your thunder, but starting to really bring us okay. <laughs> together. And hence, he's created the ecosystem. And it's been exciting um, so far. It's still... Um, starting small, but it's really taking on some steam. Mm -hmm. Dr. Miles, so I want to piggyback off of that really quickly. So um, I have a couple of questions. Number one, so Dr. Johnson Coleman just said that you've been in the HBCU system even as a student. Mm -hmm. What kind of societal or, you know, whatever 
whether it's in the community, whether it's in a larger society, what kind of challenges actually brought you into working into the HBCU system, the historically you know, black colleges and university system? What kind of societal challenges said that, you know, made you say, I need to be working here? Yes. Well, I knew that my life as, um, as an uh, educator or when I was trying to make the decision of what I was going to do in the world came about because I knew I had to give back to mankind in some way. Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother was a minister. Um, we lived in the house with my grandmother. My mother um, worked with the elderly and the poor in eight states um, and, and basically created her own uh, organization in North Carolina to work with the elderly and poor. So we served that and she did that for 45 years. So I knew I would be a servant leader. Mm -hmm. um, my, my contribution to the world was I was gonna do it through education. I felt that when I came through public school and when I decided to make a choice, I only applied to one institution. I only wanted to go to one institution and that was North Carolina a t State University uh, for my undergrad. And when I attended A&T, I learned that there were a lot of uh, issues in reference to preparation for college that didn't happen in my educational career. And even though I came from a, a somewhat um, middle-class background, I still did not have all of the necessary tools and things I needed in order to be successful. So right then, I committed to to the goal to make a difference in the world in some capacity and give other people that look like me the opportunity to be able to trans transform their realities and generations for the future and be able to do that. We, I, I went on a quest to learn and learn everything that I could, um, find every avenue possible that I could. I graduated from college in three years because I was on a mission. I wanted to get out in the world. Um, I knew that I chose not to go into the performing aspect and actually stay in the education realm because I wanted to teach. I wanted to make a difference with students. And even when I made decisions to do things differently and leave the college setting, I wanted, I had this quest for knowledge. How do we really get to know about the problems that exist in education? So I went back to the public schools. I was back as a professional uh, to be able to learn what are the issues, what are preventing people from having a level of success. And so I did that for a little while and was very, very successful in that experience. And what that taught me were the things that were happening in public school that contributed to the things that were happening ongoingly as you become a college student. So what I wanted to do is to be a part of the solution. I wanted to make an effort to really learn the things that I could do to impact my community. And that is focusing in on those foundational skills and helping students to be able to have the employable skills necessary for them to transform their particular family experience. And I think with knowledge, knowledge is the key to power. And so I recognized early on that that would be the direction and that my life would be dedicated to this opportunity to make a difference in the world that way. So my service is through education. My platform is education and my life will be dedicated to making a difference in education until I leave this earth. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much. Uh, question, uh, Dr. Johnson Coleman. So going back really quickly. Um, so again, I just kind of want to give viewers more of a background of who you both are. You'd mentioned that the HBCU, when you applied, that they actually did not accept you. I wanted to know, so what kind of, what was your impetus in saying, you know what, I'm going to start teaching in the, or even becoming an administrator in the HBCU system? It's so interesting. Um, 
So when I was in graduate school, this is what I said. I'm going to work for a large research university because I enjoy research. And when I guess for about at least 20 some years, that was the goal. And then what I would say, probably like my last 10 years of education, I would like to give back at an HBCU. That was the goal. Because I said that by then, I, you know, I would have been well published. I would have done all the things I want to do. And then I could actually take my research, because I think research informs education, you know, teaching, and then use that to really help HBCUs. Because even though I went to all PWIs, um, I really admired those of us who went to HBCUs undergrad and at grad school, they were very confident. And I really liked that. And they, because, and even though um, we were all maybe one or two uh, you know, African-Americans in, in graduate school, it's something about the HBCUs that really helped to make, give good black identity. Now they had some shortcomings, they had academic challenges that those of us who went to PWIs did not have. And, and could you explain for some people who do not understand what a PWI is, could you tell them? Um, yeah, so a predominantly white institution. So um, many of us who were at, went to predominantly white institutions who were black, who went to grad school, we didn't have the academic challenges that our um, black um, colleagues who went to, um, to HBCUs, but they had a wonderful identity. They knew who they were, they knew their self-worth, and that was so positive, and I really liked that. And I said, um, you know, all the time I think back about it, I said, it would have been nice to see more people who looked like me in undergrad and grad school. Um, and so my goal was to initially to groom those, uh, those last 10 years of my career that are at the HBCUs to also think about going to PWIs just for presence mm. and, and to keep, make sure that they're on par with their colleagues when they go to graduate school. That was the goal. But I think God had it, um, a different way. He was like, no, you're going to go to an H, you're going to teach at an HBCU. Wow. And so that is how um, it happened. I thought I had been the finalist at a research university, but it didn't go through. And then um, Norfolk State hired me. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's how I started with my HBCU career. Wow. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting to know. So Dr. Dr. Miles, so question for you. So it's been said that um, even in their conversation today, that a lot of students or the ecosystem is wanting to prepare students to be able to be out there in the, the working world. Mm -hmm. So of course we know in the working world there are a lot of games of politics that happen that are not taught in school. They're not taught when we're talking about, um, Dr. Johnson Coleman was saying at the PWIs that they, you know, for, for those uh, African-Americans who went to PWIs, they, they had an ability to maneuver certain um, mm -hmm. skills that those in HBCUs didn't necessarily know how to, but they had a strong identity. So mm -hmm. recently I heard something where we know that there's a huge initiative, STEM initiative. Mm -hmm. Recently, actually today, I heard of the STREAM initiative mm -hmm. that, that students were not being prepared for the sciences, technology, mm -hmm. reading, e engineering, arts, mm -hmm. math. So my question to you is, with the whole idea of, does the ecosystem address the, the, the steam, the stream, we've had the, um, the STEM, 
do they address those sort of um, holes in what people feel are lacking, uh, lacking skills for preparing students to be in the workplace? Yes. Um, what our goal overall is that every, everything that we focus on is around student success. So even though we have institutions that select various issues that may be the issue for their particular institution, I think somehow it comes back to that foundational core around student success. And so with that being in mind, if in fact that there's a problem with uh, recruiting students to get them to come to your institution around uh, the sciences and the, the STEAM um, approach to your institutional objectives, you may select that as an issue, but our focus in the ecosystem is really to work with the leadership mm. collaborate around issues that are prevalent at their institution. So STEAM may be an issue that is prevalent that they need to address. So how do we create our collective intellectual capacity or a capital as a, as, as a conglomerate of HBCUs coming together to work on our individual issues, but having a collective responsibility around the issues around everybody's issues at the table. And so what we do is we utilize best practices that we feel are in the industry, that we share those best practices, if we know of them, the research that we've done, the experiences that we all have had, to be able to come up with the best approach to address those particular issues. So yes, the ecosystem could address an issue that could be prominent in those areas, if in fact that was an institutional issue for one of our participants. Um, our goal is to focus on avenues that can move the student success agenda, and to ensure that every student has a quality experience despite the cost of what they have to pay for tuition these days we want to ensure that what they when they pay the money that they get the experience and the quality that they deserve and we hope that through this collective responsibility that we have as HBCUs HBCU leaders that we're able to facilitate that process collectively and that that is an overwhelming responsibility but it's also um, an important stake for us because we know that through the ecosystem we can continue to keep us surviving and being able to be uh, prosperous in the areas that we want to do. That's excellent. Dr. Johnson Coleman, so Dr. Miles was just talking about leadership, the focus on leadership. And let me ask you a question. So in terms of games of business politics, what kind of gains do you feel happen in academia, which it could happen anywhere because even you know, academic institutions are businesses. Mm -hmm. What kind of games of politics seem to prevent leaders from being as successful as they could be at an HBCU academic institution or any sort of institution when it comes to academia? Wow, that's a, that's a huge, um, <laughs> huge question. Um, some games of politics, we'll even talk about just budgets. If you look even, I will just talk about state institutions, right? If you mm -hmm. look at the budgets of an um, HBCU and that of its PWI, I mean, disparities abound that alone to be able to actually have the resources to be able to implement what you need to do and how do you navigate that when especially like let's say in Virginia people in the um in the in the general assembly many of them who are representing us in Virginia 
have gone to the large state schools, the UVA, the Virginia Techs, the Virginia Commonwealth, the George Masons. So of course they're gonna have some kind of affinity towards their schools and how much is being given, even though they may not come out and say that. And so as an HBCU, you have to work harder to get those networks to um, get the same kind of uh, money necessary to make sure that your infrastructure is good, that your, you know, your facilities are great, that students are getting the same kind of, uh, um, of quality education. But the beauty about the HBCU, just like African-American culture period, is that we've always made a way out of no way, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think that's the beauty about the HBCU is that um, in our mission statements, we specifically say that we will take you wherever you are academically and bring you up to where you need to be. That's powerful. Yes. Other MSIs or minority situated institutions, many of them don't even say that, but they will say that, you know, like if you go to George Mason or Virginia Tech or, you know, whatever, you have to have a certain SAT score, a certain, many HBCUs do not ask for that. So what Dr. Miles and I have done in our ecosystem with our colleagues is like, you know what? And even on campus at Wiley, let's take a look at our mission statement. When you signed up for this particular job at this institution, you said that you were going to affirm and uphold the mission statement. Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. Right? And so even though in, you know, the games of politics are trying to make sure with the resources, um, people, um, you know, just even internally, um, the, the games of trying to deal with other divisions, mm -hmm. what you need, um, seeing, making sure that um, it's understood that the, um, the institution is about academics and everything else is supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just understanding that. Um, so that's... <laughs> That's a whole nother thing, but just that reminded, our mission statement reminds that it is about academics. And it is about taking little Sasha, who may not can read well, who may not write well, who may be on a third grade level, right? Who may have low comprehension and bringing her to where she needs to be. So by the time she graduates, she's on par with her colleagues at all institutions. That's a lot of work with little money, little mm -hmm. And I think that's what we have to remind ourselves. And we can get stuck in not having the resources, which they're needed. It's necessary, you know, but, as, but we don't have, you know, the same kind of financial um, backing as other institutions. We don't get, uh, so, and, and so how do you still uphold, you cannot say, you know, well, you know, we don't have this, so what? We're just gonna persist and let students persist and push them through. We have to stay true to our to the mission of the institution, despite all the other um, uh, politics. Because, as you know, in any in any entity, not everybody is pro the entity. That's They're right. for whatever and however to either to gain um, to before to be a stepping stone so they can move on. If that's the case, they're, they're not care about the mission, right? right. Um, and so things of that um, nature. Um, 
And, and we were just the other day having a conversation um, over lunch and we were talking and we had some of our younger professionals and I'm saying younger professionals because they were younger. Uh, and we were talking about the differences in approaches and what we realized is that uh, the generation of today, uh, they're looking for a lot of relationships in the business setting. And they're looking, and that relationship manipulation sometimes presents some avenues or issues in relationship to the work. Yeah. Uh, and what, what we're wanting to do is to, even though you will develop relationships in the business, it's important that you bring the, the competencies necessary in order to facilitate the work. Uh, we want people to work and, and co co collaborate with you based on you being able to bring a skill set to the table. Um, so hopefully those employable skills that we need to work with students on to help prepare them, um, to facilitate them so that they can navigate in the workplace is very, very important. Um, and, 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 and I think that was what we were talking about at lunch just the other day because there's a struggle in this concept of I need you to be my friend if I'm working with you. Right. And what we, what, and it's, and it's not necessarily that you have to be interpersonally my friend, but we can connect professionally, but still facilitate the process of achieving the goals that we have to do. And I think that that's very, very important to the work that we do. Um, and preparing students to let them know that you may not have the kind of relationships that you want to have with every job that you get, but if you come with the skill set and the capabilities, you can collaborate with people and still have a professional working relationship. That's good. Sasha, were you going to say something? Yeah, and, and just piggybacking on what Dr. Miles said, and it's not just about getting a degree. We don't want to become paper mills. Yes. You know, and some of them, we even had um, someone said, well, you know, many of us now in our generation, we have college education, so we just expect to jump to leadership. But that's <laughs> the way it works. Many of them don't want to do internships, which some of them are free. Sometimes right. you don't get paid for them. Right. It helps with experience. Many right. of them have poor writing skills, which is necessary for the job. Many of them have, what Dr. Moss said, uh, poor business interpersonal skills, where they think that we have to be friends, and which makes it, which it clouds up you know, how they work together, um, don't have critical thinking skills or quantitative skills. And so what I know, what I've seen over the last 10 or so years is that some of my students have gotten these degrees, but they're not, they don't have a job in their field. They're working in Kroger, they're working in Samsung. There's nothing wrong with that, but you went to school for accounting. Right. And it's and also that's not just about that. It's like most of those employable skills that'll help you in this and understanding how to play the game like you have to network you cannot just stay on your phone all day um or in a business meeting um and basically just um you know phase out you have to be present you know you have to be on time we're trying to teach them um Cesare, we're trying to teach them just timeliness yes. like that seems basic but mm -hmm. timeliness and the importance thereof dress you know in the black community you know that's one thing that used to be like People went to church or mosque or something and they knew how to dress. Many students now don't have ties. They don't have right business attire. Just something as simple as that, which could easily make you lose a job. Like we're getting to the, when Dr. Moss said the foundations, the, we're getting to the root to help them to be successful um, with these career pathways. 
And what we do at the HBCUs is actually say that it's not somebody else's responsibility to do that. It is our responsibility to enhance the community experience for our students to ensure that they can get out in the marketplace and be competitive. So we have to get out of denial that they don't have certain skills and do something about it. So that is what we're trying to do in our collaboration is say, let's look at these issues and then let's take steps to make a difference so that we can be able to make change happen for our students in society. Absolutely. No more empty rhetoric. We're just, we're going to talk. We're not no more talking. Talking. We're about action. (laughs) We're doing. That's right. So I have a couple of questions. These are some loaded questions, but it's based Mm -hmm. upon what you all are saying. Um, One is that um, Dr. Johnson Coleman was talking about um, you all taking students where they are. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Miles, so let me ask you a question. In taking students where they are, mm-hmm. there have been scandals that have been happening mm-hmm. with students who've been having certain privileges to, yes. get, into, to get into academic institutions. Mm-hmm. How does the ecosystem address the kind of issues where there are students who feel like they're less than, not realizing that some of their counterparts are getting into the school systems because mm-hmm. their parents may have more money, not necessarily that they have the, the skill set to be in this school, but s- certain groups of people who may not have that kind of money, the underprivileged, the underserved, who may not have the, that money. How will leadership through the ecosystem, address something like that where you're having people to buy, buy the system, mm-hmm. right? Making others feel less than, or not even knowing that, or not even realizing that, that um, the reason why they don't have the opportunity is because other people have the money to take those opportunities. And, and when you think of the HBCU learning ecosystem, the first thing is taking us out of isolation. Um, and I'm going to talk about this in a various forms. The first thing is, is isolation, not being involved with policymaking that's happening within your own community. So you have to be actively involved. You just can't be an HBCU over here on the side and say, we're just going to do what we do here. You have to be totally involved in the politics within your community and you have to make an impact. And in most times you can change the direction of what elections happen and various things in your community as a historically black college and university. So that's number one. The second thing is for the HBCU learning ecosystem is that we're wanting to work with leaders to equip them with the necessary tools that they can have to be able to transcend the issues that may be prevalent with students that are trying to come to historically black colleges and universities. Because our missions are very specific and they stand that we accept, and especially at the institution where I work, we accept students where they are and they can enter our institution and we will give them a quality education. So in giving them a quality education, the first thing we have to do is really assess where they are, um, um, assess their own own interpersonal, their aptitudes, their interests to help them to create their identity, to be able to get them moving in the direction that they need to move in reference to what they want to do in the world. We have to assess the academic uh, capabilities to know whether or not they are uh, struggling in these particular areas so that we can be deliberate around making the change happen for them. Oftentimes, uh, students go to institutions and they're there for years and no one really knew that they couldn't read. 
right. they've been able to persist to their junior or senior year and they're having reading comprehension issues or writing issues or mathematical issues. And these are the foundational skills that students must have in order to be successful in their discipline as well as be successful in the workplace. So we have to get out of the concept of not knowing but we have to know. So the only way that we can know is to assess them. So we have to have standardized assessment. We have to have formative assessment at the institution. We have to have perception data so that we can triangulate the data and get to the root causes of what is really happening with our students. I think that's worth the money that people will pay if we can get to the root cause and create solutions to be able to drive home for every student that enters the institution not just for some, but for every student. And when we look at these mission statements of historical black colleges and universities, their mission speaks to giving an opportunity for every student that enters the institution. And so we don't have a process where we can discriminate upon people who may come into our institution. We are an open institution to provide a quality experience for any student that wants to learn. And that's what many of the HBCUs are. Their mission statements really reside around that opportunity. That's excellent. I have another question for you. You mentioned servant leadership. So mm -hmm. in terms of certain servant leadership, when we talk about games of politics, there are mm -hmm. times where uh, leaders don't really know how to be emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. Just because they're leader does, leaders doesn't mean that they're emotionally intelligent. Mm -hmm. So in order to make sure that everyone aligns with this idea of, and I'm, I'm making the assumption of this mm -hmm. leadership, yes. what is put into place almost as not even necessarily a prerequisite, but how do you prepare leaders to have that heart of being a servant leadership in order to provide the type of services that you want the ecosystem to provide for academic institutions? What we are doing in the, in the HBCU learning ecosystem is really focusing on collaboration. Um, we are using a strategy that's called professional learning community or learning communities as you may see it, where professionals come together and they look at data to make decisions about what they need to do in order to help move the agenda forward. In that process, it's kind of twofold. You're looking at the data to make strategic decisions, but you're also building the capacity of people to work together, to be able to learn from each other and to support each other and have that collective responsibility. If you are doing those two things and they're happening within a community, nine times out of 10, you will be able to see your outcomes become realized. Mm -hmm. And so that is the way that I think, and this is only uh, perhaps an approach that can be used, but I feel that every institution, when we talk about strategic priorities and strategic planning and all of that, it has to be done within creating a community around the work because everybody has to have an understanding of the core mission because every plan is built based on what your mission says you're here to do. And so as we align back to our mission, is we align leaders to be able to be those servant leaders. Those servant leaders are leading the way through service of working with people to be able to accomplish what the people have decided, that collective responsibility, the people decided what they think is most important. That makes sense. Dr. Johnson Coleman, I have a question for you. Were you gonna say something? It just was like what Martin Luther King says. You have, in order to lead the community, you have to love the community. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Wow. And if you don't love the community, you're not going to be a good a servant leader. Right. So you have to really be committed to this. Um, this kind of work that you love this, love the people who you're going to serve and to lead. And as leaders, we have to be involved in the community. That's right. Just give the idea and then walk away. You have to be intimately involved in the experience so that they can see that you are a part, you believe in the direction that we are going. Oh, and that's, right. what, that's what makes the community come alive and that's what makes everybody work for the common vision. And I think Sasha, this is Sasha's own saying, I think that's what's been lost in these last 20 years. We have lost people who love the community mm -hmm. in, the, in many HBCUs. But I think that's where some of the shortcomings of these, these, last, these graduates the last 20 years have had. That's what has been happening with their having some challenges. And that's why the HBCU learning ecosystem was formed based on the same thing that Dr. Uh, Johnson Coleman spoke about when Dr. King created the beloved community creating this learning community, the answer is in working together, not HBCUs working in isolation, but creating an economy of scale and addressing their issues together and perhaps maybe going after resources and things collectively to be able to address the issues for the students that they serve. And it's not just emotional, right? So we're not saying we're just gonna, you know, and I think that's one of the problems I've noticed with the HBCUs of coddling people and not really being open honest. No, we're talking about looking at data, looking mm -hmm. at research, loving people, but being honest yes. with folks. And courageous conversations. Yes. Yes. Courageous conversations. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Dr. Johnson Coleman, do you believe that HBCUs get a bad rep in, the, in, in society or in the media? Absolutely, they do. Absolutely. Like, you would, if you didn't know any better, you would think that only HBCUs have financial problems. They only have problems with um, helping their students to achieve. They're the only ones who are dysfunctional, but that's not true. I mean, we, there's plenty of records to show that even some of our better institutions have financial problems, but they don't mm -hmm. get the bad rap that um, HBCUs do. There are also, um, there's also research showing that many of their first generation students, white, black, or their other, other and minority students don't persist in PWIs, don't do well. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that they, that's how they weed them out. And so if they're gone, then they're not in the graduation rate. So it just seems like everybody's doing so well. But if they were to probably look at it every year at many of the PWIs, they would see they would have some real challenges. With and why? Why, are they, why do you believe they're having these sort of challenges or students aren't being able to be as successful? Well, I mean, you know, going to an HBCU, you can really feel like you're an outsider. It's all, or feel like you have what that imposter syndrome, like maybe yes. I don't belong right. here. Even though you may have a GPA just as good or even higher than some of your counterparts, but they really still, I don't think, do a great job of real inclusion. And not only inclusion, oh, well, we have X amount of Indian people, X amount of, you know, Chinese people, X amount of first-gen people, X amount of Black people, but really put, I mean, incorporating them into the, um, into the community, but not only students, faculty and staff too. Mm, wow. Faculty and staff at PWIs feeling isolated as well, feeling mm -hmm. that they have to do more to get for tenure or for promotions and feel, are always being relegated to the minority issues, not being able to grow women, 
you know, well, you know, she may become pregnant, so we're not going to really put more a lot into her because she may end up having children. I mean, just crazy things that are not put into place. Where at the HBCU, I mean, it is important that everybody feels like a community, but that goes back to African culture, right? We're a communal people. We yes. it's important for us to embrace everybody. That's why even people who are not black at HBCUs are like, wow, people really care. So if we take that loving the community and that caring with the data to, to, to show how we can improve and uh, what the, and the skills that they need for the workplace, I mean, it's, these students will be, are going to be amazing. Do you think that people realize in, in society that HBCUs serve more people than black people? Do you? I don't, yes. I don't think they do. And I think that's why it's important going back to the HBCU ecosystem. That's the whole point. No more will that we allow other people to tell our story. We're yes. going to tell our story. Guess what? We do. We serve um, white people who love their HBCU. We serve um, Latinos who love their HBCUs. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, I mean, even in the past, you know, that Hampton University, many of their students were um, um, uh, First Nations people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we have, it's, this is not anything new, but I think because of the racism in our country, and we love to put people into little boxes, we have made it seem that we just only serve just one group of people. And that we've always been open to all kinds of people. People with even, a, a ability challenges. I mean, all kinds of folk. Because even at our institution, we have a large international population, but you would never really know that. Um, and so when uh, Dr. Johnson Coleman spoke about that we need to tell our story, that is one of the, uh, the most important components of what we're doing with the HBCU learning ecosystem is helping institutions to understand that they have to be transparent about the data that they're looking at, the issues that exist, and they have to communicate and tell their story. They don't need anyone else. So when you allow the media to only be the one to tell your story, then that is what, what you, the question you ask is what, why people have these perceptions. We have to be a little bit more aggressive in telling our story, but we have to use our data to be able to support making that story come alive. And so I think it's very, very important that leadership um, have those conversations, that they have those tough conversations to make decisions about how do we do this work? How do we really tell our story? And what is it that we want? In, what, what do we want to be in the story to communicate to our stakeholders? And so that is very, very important for us to do. So I, that was a very good point, Dr. Johnson Coleman. Can you emphasize again, Dr. Miles, one more mm -hmm. time, who exactly is the audience that you specifically want to reach out to? So based upon even our conversation right now, who do you want to be listening mm -hmm. to this conversation and start to engage with the, with the ecosystem? Who is your specific audience that you would like to reach out to? Well, believe it or not, we've had that same conversation. Our primary focus is working with historically black colleges and university, but the who is anybody that's interested in helping historically black colleges and universities move themselves to the next level. Um, and so my, my, um, 
when I when I say who would be involved, that can be anybody that has an interest that wants to get a, get involved in the work, the research, the data collection, the support, the uh, developing uh, action plans, uh, the strategies. Anybody that's interested in doing that work can become a part of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so we don't discriminate, but we do have a primary focus. Our focus is on student success at historically black colleges and universities. Dr. Johnson Coleman, um, question for you. So recently, as of yesterday, there were three young men um, from Flatbush in Brooklyn, New York, who were rappers. Um, and they were talking about, on, uh, the, in the media, they were talking in the news, that they didn't appreciate that a lot of adults who were basically our age and above, I believe, they were talking about that, who were more engaged in social media than being engaged in, in the youth or what more younger people need or want. So from your perspective, Dr. Johnson Coleman, how do you all ensure in this ecosystem that leadership or the quote unquote adults um, because some of these, these, these rappers, I think they were adults, they were just very, very young adults. How do you ensure that they actually represent the needs of the students and not just what these adults think that these students need? It's so interesting you said that because you're right. Even, I mean, you can even see many institutions now that are using social media to, you know, to tweet, to, to do all kinds. This is what we're doing. They'll take pictures, they show but it really doesn't really reach the students. And I can, I can understand what they're talking about. That's why this is kind of like old school meets new school, where mm -hmm. even, um, in many of the professional learning communities that have been um, headed by Dr. Miles and I um, help him, we even had students to be a part of it. Like, we want to hear them. Like, what is it that you are desire? What is it that you don't understand? What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that you want to do? What is it that you just don't under, you know, you don't know. And so actually engaging students as well. That's why when we say learning, you know, so many times, it, you know, it says, oh, we're student focused. And as a, you know, a faculty member, which I always think of myself as that, that used to kind of irritate me, irritate me because I'm like, learning should be for all people. And one thing that Dr. Miles, um, share with me um because if there's a, a really great article on christian um affiliated um colleges and they were saying you know in this century we need to be learning focused so that's for all people staff faculty and students so that's why we said it's a learning ecosystem because it's not just about um the students right because we'd also need to make sure that faculty and staff are learning so that they can do well to help the students right in whatever division they're in that faculty are um, going into industry to know what the best practices are, going to conferences, building mm -hmm. their CDs that will help them to be more engaging in the classroom and outside of the classroom for networking to helping their students to really achieve what they need. That staff in other areas, whether it's student affairs, enrollment services, or business and finances, that they know what's going on in their industry as well, so they can do their top-notch job to ensure the support of the students while they're at the institution. So um, I think that's what makes the ecosystem powerful, is that there it's not just about, oh, we're going to tweet, hey, guess what, we're going to be at UNCF, you know, the 1st of July. No, we're not, it, I mean, yeah, we're going to let people know that, but hey, this is what we're doing. We're actually testing students to find out where they are 
that we can help them to get where they need and to be honest with them. Hey, you want to be um, a computer scientist, but your quantitative skills are not that good. However, the test is showing that you're really good in, um, you know, education. Maybe you need to think about, like, it seems like you have affinity for really helping others. So, you know, doing things like that, using um, um, assessments and all kinds of just even um, talking with them to help them to get where they are and then tweeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not tweeting, this is what we're doing to, for an outside show, but to actually uh, really be in the trenches. You know, John Henry Clark said that's where the work happens is in the trenches. It's not the pomp and circumstance. And I can mm-hmm. see where they're saying that being on social media, all that is just pomp and circumstance, but where's the real work? So we're really, you know, in the trenches to do well, to do what we um, say we're um, set to do. And we have an obligation to, to ensure that not only are we facilitating that in the educational community, but we're doing it in the community which that educational institution resides. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very important. So when those students, they may not have been touched by a college or a university that existed in their area, that is something that we should be a part of. Like in our community, everyone should know that we exist because we have community programming. We're working with the youth in the community. We're working with the elderly in the community. Those are the things that really make our approach very valuable. So when we're talking about making the change happen and really creating this movement with the leaders, we are really saying that it is a global mindset that we need to have as we approach um, our communities and facilitate the processes to make them um, uh, be a part and to be engaged because what the rappers were saying was that we weren't engaging them and we need to engage them in different ways it's not only one medium to make it work we have to find a variety of ways to communicate that's excellent dr. Mm -hmm. miles can you give the audience one call to action that Mm -hmm. you would like them to do right now after this conversation, like within the next seven days, what would be the call to action that you would like them to do? And I know you said one, but I'm gonna give you two. One is to register for our conference that we're having uh, in Atlanta, Georgia with the United Negro College Fund. Um, And it's gonna be on July the 1st, Monday, July the 1st. It's an all day conference where we are really basking in every aspect of what we're talking about today. And then secondly, really focusing in on the call to action is really focusing in on helping everybody that you know develop skill sets that will help them to be able to be transformational within their community. So whether it is people in your family, whether it's people uh, that are actually attending an institution, really get to the heart of them understanding who they are and what foundational skills and what are their aptitudes and their interests to be able to move them to what it is that they want to do in this world. I think that that's very, very important. I think having those courageous conversations sometimes can lead to greatness. Is the conference open to those maybe corporate executives or any sort of corporate worker, whether they've been in HBCUs or maybe they would like to give to the HBCU institutions? Are they also invited to attend or is there a different initiative later on that would? Believe it or not, it is free. It is open to anyone who would like to register. Uh, They can contact us. We can send them a link and they can register and there's no cost. The only cost they will have is their time and, and, and travel to get to Atlanta, Georgia, downtown at the Hyatt Regency. Oh, that's, that's great. Cost. No cost for registration, no fee to attend. But of course, seats are limited. So 
they need to register very soon. That's great. Um, so the, the last thing um, that I want to, well, a couple of last things. So Dr. Johnson Coleman, I want you to think about this really quickly. Your most favorite inspirational quote. It doesn't matter whether it's a song, it doesn't matter whether it's a poem, doesn't matter. What would be your most favorite inspirational quote that moves you? Uh, from mom. And even though it's tough, there's a lot of, to me, there's a lot of love behind it. Mm -hmm. If you're not first place, try to make it to first place. When you get to first place, make sure you try to keep first place. Wow. Wow. That's yeah, you know, not that you're going to always be, but that's what you should go. You should never settle, never settle for mediocrity, never just get complacent. And I think that's the biggest thing that's always stuck with me that I've shared with others. Dr. Miles, what would be your most favorite, your most inspirational quote that drives you? Um, I have a quote that comes from Martin Luther King, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moment of comfort and a convenience, but where he stands in the times of challenge and controversy. Um, throughout my um, professional experiences, I've, I, I, and I, you know, I, I say, God, you put me in these places for a reason, and, I'm, and I know um, I've been placed in a lot of challenging environments, and I know that I've been placed there for a reason. And so that quote stands out to me because I know that my life is uh, dedicated to making an impact and being there for a time to help move the agenda forward. And so I thank God for giving me these experiences because I am the person that can stand um, in the times of challenge and controversy and still be able to be the same person that I know I was supposed to be coming to the table to do the work. Dr. Miles, for anyone who would like to contact you, to whether they want to attend or just talk to you just about anything that you were speaking about today, mm -hmm. how would they contact you specifically, whether it's social media, a website, email, whatever you're comfortable with giving, how could they contact you? Well, they can actually call our office because Dr. Johnson Coleman and I work in the same office. They can call 903-923-1620. See, and I know the number because, you know, most people don't know the telephone numbers today. But that's the number to our office. And they can ask for Dr. Johnson Coleman or myself. Also, my email address is acmiles at W-I-L-E-Y-C, which is wileyc.edu. They can reach me via email and, and make contact. I check my emails all the time, so they can make contact with me there. Um, they can also go, into, go to the uncf.org website and find out about the fourth convening and data institute that's happening in July, and they can find out all of the information about the institute and also the first partnership with the HBCU Learning Ecosystem. We're very excited about partnering with the United Negro College Fund, and so we are, we are just so fortunate because we know that this is a movement that's going to really make a difference for HBCUs. That's wonderful. Dr. Johnson Coleman, for anyone who would like to talk to you, whether they're corporate or in academia, anyone, how would they reach you, whether social media, email, et cetera? They can reach me by email. I like to give them my Gmail account. It's pretty long, but it's srtjohnsoncoleman <laughs> at gmail.com. 
Um, Can and you repeat that one more time only because it was a little, it was a little blurry on my end. Can you say yes. it one more time? S as in Sam, R as in race, T as in Tom, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, at gmail.com. Can we give a shout out to all our member institutions of the ecosystem? Absolutely, please. Okay, so we just want to say thank you, and we're excited about our member institutions for the HBCU, HBCU Learning Ecosystem, Bluefield College, Clark Atlanta, Elizabeth City State University, Bennett College, Fayetteville State University, Hampton University, wow. Houston Pilsen University, Morehouse School of Medicine, Norfolk State University, North Carolina A&T State University, Savannah State University, Shaw University, um, Southern University, Shreveport, um, um, Louisiana, um, uh, University of the Virgin Islands. Uh, there's so many uh, people who are now joining us, Virginia State University, of course, Wiley College, and thanks to UNCF for hosting us. Yes. We're excited yes. and we really want to partner with those in industry because that's where we think that having that marriage together is going to really help us to build. And even those in med all kinds of industry, you know, mm. um, and PWIs as well, even University of Richmond, we have a, um, a colleague there who's um, been um, instrumental as well. So um, we really want to partner with everybody. Everybody is welcomed to be a part of this. Thank you very, very much. This was a very, very good session with you. So everyone, this is Business Politics 318. Take back your smiles, how to navigate business politics and make sure you do it with victory. We wanna take back what belongs to us, smiles, happiness, etc. Thank you to Dr. Clifton Miles and Dr. Sasha Johnson Coleman. Thank you so much, so much for coming today. Thank you. Thank you very much.